As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrow and Lisa Abramowitz. Join us each day for insight from the best in economics, geopolitics, finance, and investment. Subscribe to Bloomberg Surveillance On Demand on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And always on Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Terminal, and the Bloomberg Business App. Jens Nordvig joins us right now, an important uh, moment with Exante uh, Data. Jens, perfect timing here. We see the arch other pair, Euro-Yen, break out strong Euro weekend, weak Yen, technically through 148, is a huge deal against strong Euro. Explain to mere mortals what the significance of a Euro-Yen breakout means. So we have had a a situation here over the last uh, month or so, right, where we had significant banking tension. It was not just in the U.S. We also saw pressure on Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, and so forth. And we've had a significant relief from that. So we've had Euro-Yen essentially go up 4 or 5% from those lows. So it's a very significant bounce as those banking tension concerns in the Eurozone have really been pushed in the background. Uh, in the U.S., it's a little bit more complicated. But so we have a very significant movement. At the same time, we continue to have this elevated speculation about whether the Bank of Japan is going to do something, right? Uh, we, we've had incredible volatility around Bank of Japan meetings. We have another one this uh, week. Uh, and now the new... Uh, Bank of Japan uh, leadership is essentially signaling that they, they will still be patient. So um, I wouldn't say it's still the same mm-hmm. as Corona, right? But they're signaling that they are not in a rush to exit right. from the easing. So those are the things that's really pushing euro yen uh, pretty significantly higher. Jens, your book on the euro 10, 15 years ago was definitive on what the euro needs to be. Has Europe escaped eurosclerosis? Has Europe, you know, with the, the experiment coming out of the advent of the euro? Have they escaped that permanent unemployment? Have they found a more Anglo-Saxon prosperity? We we continue to see that when there's a crisis in Europe, uh, the leadership tends to come together and do more stuff that they've been willing to do in the past, right? So the the coronavirus uh, episode was another example of them doing more. Uh, next generation EU funds are still being dispersed around the European uh, Union to support countries that need it. So we have essentially a degree of fiscal union building, right? So that was something that was missing and we're having a degree of it. Um, and uh, that's certainly certainly helping on that front. There's a lot of talk about having a banking union as well, right? When you have banking tension, there's focus on supporting the banking system in various ways. And and we're having that discussion again, right? So we're not there yet. But I think the one thing that's really important uh, uh, that is different from from when I wrote that book is we had those political tension that caused uncertainty about, okay, do the different countries have the willingness to do what it takes to stay 
in the eurozone. We don't really have those debates at the moment. Uh, there's no no debate in Italy about leaving the, the euro right now. There's no debate in, in Spain or other countries, right? So if you do opinion polls, do people want to stick with the euro? There's uh, actually rising support for the euro. So that's something that cements uh, the euro status, despite all the difficulties there is with economic integration and so forth. This was the reason why, Jens, a lot of people earlier this year said that Europe, European equities in particular were a real place of brightness for the full year, given not only all of this potential optimism, but also this idea that they're not as tech-heavy at a time when there would be a rotation out of that. Well, it hasn't really worked out that way, and you've seen actually big tech continue to lead in the U.S. What is that going to shift? Is Europe ever going to basically create some other complex like it to rival? the tech giants in the US? Well, so, so the European stock trade, uh, like for example, in banking space has worked out, right? So uh, BNP has recovered 20% from the lows is up significantly on the year. Uh, so the fact that interest rates are rising is creating a different environment for equities and banks and done very well. Obviously, Europe doesn't have a tech sector. So on that uh, front, uh, tech sector to speak of, so on that front, the US is gonna be leading. Uh, but I think overall, we have a situation where European equity markets have outperformed U.S. equity markets for the first time in a long time, right? Uh, you can argue whether it's Europe outperforming or the U.S. underperforming outside of tech. And that's something that's very interesting. Don't forget that we've had a situation where last year we had like a very, very serious energy crisis in the eurozone, right? And now energy prices have uh, dropped very notably, right? So part of the reason why we have the euro strong European stocks also can can do relatively well this year is that that energy crisis has abated. Consumer confidence can, has come back. Uh, you look at the services PMI. Services PMIs have just risen, risen, risen over the last couple of months, right? So we've really recovered from that energy shock in a, in a way that has supported the European economy. And obviously, the ECB is still facing inflation, right? So the combination of too high inflation and growth that's actually getting better means that it's very, very hard for the ECB to relax. They have to continue going, as we heard today as well. So, Jens, basically, it sounds like you are still uh, very bullish in European banks and European equities more broadly, as well as the euro. So I was certainly very, I was tweeting very aggressively about it a month ago, and I actually did a summary tweet yesterday about it uh, on my handle. Like, like there was no particular reason to, to think Deutsche Bank was just about to go under, right? And we have recovered from uh, that dramatic shock. And, and I think there's still some reason to think that we are out of zero interest rate world that's important for the banking system overall. And, and for the euro, the ECB is going to continue to support it. So I think the big question here is what its global growth going to do. That's super important for the dollar. And we have some question marks in Asia now. So that's the new things that we're starting to really focus on in our research right now. Okay, let's go there. On China, how does China fit into speculating or betting on a given currency pair? Which pair gives you the greatest efficacy to play your China guess? So, so typically when we've had, you know, China stimulus, China growth recovery, it's been currencies like Aussie dollar that has benefited from it, Korean won. And, and we had a period in January and February where China linked assets all around the world from casino stocks to right. tourism stocks and so forth, all rallied hard. And now we've come to a point where it feels that some of those trades are very fully priced. And actually, it's sort of the longer term growth concerns that are starting to feed into price action. We can see that in Chinese equities rolling over. We can see it in iron ore rolling over. So it's kind of one of those things where 
perhaps we got it very fully embedded and we start to look at the more medium-term uh, picture okay. as opposed to just that short-term shock. So are you saying AUDKRW is the most efficient pair to play a China guess? So I, I think when you have a growth bounce in, in Europe, those are the assets that are moving. And I think right now, if we look at, uh, we have like very high frequency tracking of Chinese growth where we look at, okay, what is the momentum? And we can see at the end of March, that's when we kind of had a peak in Chinese growth. And since then, over the last three, four weeks, we've started to see the real momentum in the Chinese economy potentially peak out. And therefore, you have to be a little bit more careful with those sort of China growth-sensitive assets right now. Jens, wonderful to get your perspective on that. Jens Nordvik there for Xante Data. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Joining us now, Marky Patel of Allspring Global Investments. Marky, wonderful to catch up with you. Tom mentioned this conversation at the very start of the program, pushing forward to tech earnings later this week. Marky, you still hold a lot of tech. Can you walk us through where you're taking that equity exposure at the moment, going into results later this week? Well, this is going to be a huge week for stocks. A huge number of companies are reporting. Uh, we still like the tech sector because certainly uh, the understanding that there's a lot of inventory to be worked off, that we may have to wait for the second half of the year to see a turn in demand, is well understood. And the stocks have anticipated that most have performed really well. So the question is, can they have a decent results and the markets uh, really go down because of that? We think we'd rather ride that out and say these companies have long-term growth, they have good positions in their industry, strong balance sheets to withstand, even if we do have a deep recession. Mark, yeah, look at tech and the, the rep here that so many people are afraid of is, is tech conservative. How do you determine a measured conservative cash flow from a high flyer that could be trouble? Uh, well, I don't really know about the high flyers. I like to avoid the high flyers that might have trouble. But just looking at companies that have improved their market position, who are you know technological leaders that have a lot of cash on their balance sheet, and also they pay a dividend. A lot of tech stocks pay a, well, a give dividend. Us a name. And I think that's a good sign. Mark, you give us a name. Come uh, on, no one's watching. <laughs> well, we think Broadcom is a is there a good go. stock because it's diversified in a dividend. 
All right. Well, going forward, we talk about when to know when to cash out. Margie, we have seen a huge run in some of the big tech names that are profitable. They've really been, frankly, the backbone of any gains that we've gotten so far this year. When do you say that's enough? Well, I think that's true, but on a relative basis, we really don't know how deep of a uh, economic correction we're going to have. Will it be mild? Will it be more severe? And so uh, tech prices may come down because PEs have expanded. However, we don't know if other sectors will have very disappointing earnings if we have a big recession. So that's kind of the push and pull in the market of, of where you want to be positioned. Have you been surprised at the market's reaction to some of these earnings, Margie? And I ask because people have been waiting for the earnings recession. And in certain areas, it's come and markets don't care. I mean, what do you make of that? Well, so far this uh, earnings season, which is really only about 20% or so, the results have been surprisingly good. And the market was really looking for signs that companies would tone down their earnings expectation, the quarter would be disappointing, and it hasn't been. So we're still waiting for that correction we haven't seen. We have seen a correction, though, in net interest margins at the smaller banks. Lisa talked about this through most of the last week as we got a drip feed of news from small and medium-sized lenders in the United States. Margie, just in terms of taking a step back and trying to understand the broader economy. What is the relationship between declining net interest margins and bank lending to the rest of the, co- the economy? Well, I think everything rolls back to the Fed and their super aggressive policy last year that really put the banks kind of in a box on the interest margin. So we think we have to see the yield curve uh, get un- gets not so inverted as a big thing and uh, see a little more stability from the Fed. And we think we've already seen, even before the distress we saw in the first quarter, bank lending standards were tightening up. So they have already been on the watch and I think are in pretty good shape as far as that is. Expecting that to continue potentially. we get some more data on that early next month. Margie, thank you for that. As always, Margie Bittow there of Allspring Global Investments. We feel that we need to parse through any good conversation with Dana Peterson, Chief Economist at the Conference Board, who really joins us now in the state of America. Dana, where's your GDP statistic that we're going to see this week? We sort of come down, we're all at 3.2-ish, and we've come down. Give me the Conference Board statistic that you're working with right now. Well, we're probably looking at anything between 1.5% to 2% growth in the in the month. Certainly, we had a very strong January in terms of consumer spending, but then February and March were pretty pathetic. And also we think business investment continued to shrink as well as residential investment. Of course, the wild cards are trade and inventories, which have been exactly wild. Well, where's domestic final sales? If you take out inventories and trade dynamics, you get into a domestic view of Y equals C plus I plus G plus NX. And Dana, are we in domestic final sales recession now? Um, Probably not in the first quarter, but we do think that the second quarter, we definitely will see some negative readings. Um, Certainly, that'll be negative consumer spending, also business investment, and of course, residential investment. Dana, have you been surprised at consumer confidence hanging in there at the fact that the economic data has not turned around more than it already has? Well, our overall measure of consumer confidence continues to just kind of move back and forth. Um, It's definitely down from where it was at the peak last year or even the year before. But still, when you look at expectations, consumers still expect a recession at some point. And they've been signaling that for the last 12 out of 13 months. And so something is about to happen. And certainly when we ask CEOs, they continue to believe that there is going to be a recession. It won't be long and it won't be deep, but it's going to happen. How much is this consistent 
throughout industries versus specific industries giving this signal very strongly, whereas others are a little bit more iffy on just the prospect? Well, when I look at the labor market and by industry, it's kind of split into three pieces. You have those former pandemic darlings that are not doing so well, like technology and retail and transportation, warehousing and finance. Uh, But then you have the ones in the middle that are just kind of hoarding labor and not doing anything. And then you definitely have those industries that are still adding workers, and that includes healthcare and hotels and restaurants, all those experiential Mm -hmm. types of services. With inflation coming down, do we get an inflation-adjusted wage, however you want to define it, that's level or increases, or do we still have negative real wage growth? Well, Real wages are actually slightly positive right now, and that's because headline inflation has come off. But still, underlying inflation, less food and energy, is still pretty sticky. And again, wages are just slightly positive. So we think that with that, consumers are are saying to themselves, well, you know, at least energy or at least gasoline is not as expensive as it was. And so it's not eating into my budget as much as it was. But certainly food and other services are still pretty expensive. I, I look, Dana, at the back and forth here of all the economic data coming out. I believe we have to get to a Fed meeting May 3rd. What matters for Chairman Powell and the rest of the voters at the Fed towards May 3rd? Which part of the new economic data will matter? Well, certainly uh, this week's GDP report for the first quarter, but also the PCE deflator inflation, whether or not Uh, we still continue to see stickiness in the core or if it's just a function of what we saw in CPI. And also daily lending data uh, from banks to uh, businesses and consumers and seeing how much that dips. Because if it dips considerably, then that tells the Fed that, well, maybe this is the last hike that they'll need to implement. But certainly if inflation continues to be a problem, we might be looking at two more hikes. We're speaking with Dana Peterson of the conference board at a time of great uncertainty of exactly where we are in this economic cycle. And Dana, there was a lot of discussion earlier in this year about whether we'd be going back to the lowflation, low growth kind of environment that we had for so many years and whether rates could go back to that in the next few years. Do you see that as a likelihood akin to what IMF was saying last uh, in the past couple of weeks? Well, we certainly do think that growth over the, well, beyond this year is going to pick up, but still be materially below what we're used to seeing, probably closer to potential one, one between one and a half and 1.8% growth. And that's not certainly not the two and a half to 3% growth that we saw before the pandemic. But inflation will be tough to keep down because there are going to be these structural drivers of higher inflation. So that means the Fed will have to keep interest rates higher for longer in order to get inflation back to the 2% target and maintain it there. What does it say, Dana, that so many people before this period of time said that this economy could not handle higher interest rates, that suddenly we are seeing ongoing growth in the face of interest rates that are the highest they've been going back to the 1980s, and that people believe that the Fed will eventually have to cut, but you're saying not really that much given how much inflation is going to pick up. What does that mean about what the right rate is? Well, when I look at the economy, different 
aspects of it are behaving differently. <laughs> so I use different a lot. So if you look at the housing market, residential investment, that's really come off and that really moves first when interest rates rise. And then <clears throat> business investment has come off a little bit and consumers have pulled back on spending on durable goods, which are things that they need to finance. The last shoe to drop really is services. And I think it's going to take some weakness in the labor market mm -hmm. or even belief that uh, people, uh, consumers believing that they might get let go, even though they may not. And that's really going to bring things uh, back into balance. Dana, one final question. We've got to go to some breaking news here. But Dana Peterson, it's too important. You opened this conversation by talking about sub 2% growth. Can I assume that with sub 2% growth, X percent of America's in recession? How big is that part of America that feels recession, even if the GDP statistic is positive? Well, I think definitely people with lower incomes because much of their paychecks get eaten up by inflation. But also we're seeing worries among people who have higher incomes, especially the middle class, because they're the ones who pay the most taxes. They also pay a lot of, uh, in terms of inflation, uh, they're still very much affected. And so I think it's it's those groups that are definitely feeling the pinch right now. Dana, thank you so much. Dana Peterson with the conference board. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So, there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This guy leads the way. Rich Greenfield had to wear a flat coat, flat jacket, and helmet here years ago in media as a sell-side analyst. He was one of the courageous guys out there in a really vicious time for IPOs and secondary offerings and that. He's aged nicely at Light Shed Partners and joins us uh, this morning. Rich, I got to cut to the chase. I've never seen more capital deployed and misallocated in 14 different ways how bad will the rationalizations of labor be across all of the rich greenfield space? I mean, look, you know, I mean, look, the reality is, is, you know, we saw a lot of what I would call overhiring um, during sort of the pandemic, where I think there was just this sort of 
you know, incredible surge of activity around a lot of these companies. I mean, obviously they were first depressed for like a nanosecond, and then we just saw this massive explosion in a lot of these digital businesses. And you're seeing a right sizing now. I mean, you know, look look at what's happening to companies like Meta and Google, you know, Alphabet, et cetera. But even Netflix and others, I mean, you've seen sort of across the board headcount reductions, not because business is collapsing, but I think more than anything else, Tom, is just that they got a little ahead of themselves yeah. in terms of hiring and just brought on too many people relative to or un, you know overall revenue growth. Rich, you and your team have been leaders in trying to monitor the consolidation of what we call entertainment. I think of I saw a photo this weekend, folks, of people buying Taylor Swift's uh, uh, merch, and it was like four miles long to buy you know Taylor Swift T-shirts and coffee mugs, and that. Rich, I want to talk about monopsony or the consolidation here under monopoly and where price is set. Are we just going to have one or two or three entertainment vendors at the end of the day? I mean, right now, things are pretty amazing for the consumer, Tom. I mean, yes, you have the legacy multi-channel bundle that you and I have been sort of watching meltdown over the course of the last 10 to 15 years. You know what people like to call cord cutting. But we're really in this era now of where the consumer is in the driver's seat. I mean, think about what used to happen in the cable and satellite world. I mean, having to wait, you know, call up to change your service. Someone had to come out, swap out a box. Like canceling was a pain in the neck. Nobody did it. <laughs> now with things, whether it's Netflix or Disney Plus or Paramount Plus or Peacock, I, all of these things, click of a button, sign up. If, you, if you're not happy with your Peacock service or you're tired of it or you watched enough content, you literally click cancel, click of a button. There's no waiting for someone to come to your house. I mean, I don't think we've ever been in a better time in entertainment for the consumer well, than we are right now. More content and you're in control of what you pay for for goes, the first time. It goes to this kind of frictionless ability that we've been talking about yes. with banking, but also with respect to entertainment. Given those options, does it make sense to you that simply cutting workers like what we're seeing at Meta, like what we're seeing at Disney is enough to uh, engender a new era of growth? I'm just wondering, basically to put it more bluntly, does Meta's uh, cutting of staff justify a 77% gain so far this year? Uh, absolutely. I mean, when you think about what's happened at Meta, they've, you know, sort of gone back to what they're good at, which is selling ads. I mean, they're the, one of the best companies in the world for helping small businesses around the world move products off shelves. Like that is what Meta does. They are incredible at direct response advertising. Nobody does it better than what Meta does. There was a lot of distraction, a lot of focus on the metaverse and virtual reality in the future. And I think Mark very much correctly realized he needed the street support. He needed investors to believe in this story. He can still build his long-term metaverse vision, but he has to do it in line with the growth of the company. And I think that's what got disjointed. He's refocused, reallocated capital more appropriately. And I think the team has never been more focused on selling the core product. And that's, you know, AI-driven content and yeah. AI-driven advertising. That's what's making MetaStop work right now. Does the same kind of thesis uh, hold true for Disney, which is, I believe, cutting about 15% of their staff in the yeah. entertainment division? Does it also give the same sort of optimism? I mean, you don't have the underlying growth at Disney <clears throat> that you do at something like Meta, right? I mean... 
the the meta story, while it's had an amazing growth over the last decade, there's a lot to come. You know, with Disney, the challenge is really threefold, right? We're trying to figure out what do you do with Hulu? They've got this sort of extra streaming service. Don't know whether the, you know, sort of NBCU news over the weekend changes that process or, or at all. But right. you've got Hulu situation. Then you've got what do you do with ESPN? As Tom pointed out, the cable network business is not exactly a growth business anymore and sports costs keep going up. So what do you do with yeah. ESPN? And then the big problem, honestly, that the two of you you know should think about is the Disney content, that engine of growth that you know, really that is the lifeblood of Disney really hasn't been working over the last couple right. of years. Marvel and Lucasfilm don't look as strong. They look a little tired. And the animation crown, I mean, we're all talking about Super Mario Brothers. What was the last time you were talking about a blockbuster Disney animated title? Right. Iger's got a lot of work. Uh, he's got a lot of work to do across right. Disney's businesses. He's obviously incredibly talented, but he's got to figure out all three of those big issues right. as well as find a successor in the next 18 months. Rich Greenfield. That's not easy. Comment Rich Greenfield on what I saw twice over the weekend was his fondest desire of Tim Cook to the rescue. And it can be Apple Disney, Apple this, Apple that, whatever. But in your world, there seems to be this savior transaction for troubled companies that Apple would buy you. Why would Apple buy any of this stuff? Tom, I don't know. I mean, why would you want to own cable networks that are disappearing? Why would you want to own all of these assets when Apple has enough capital? They can make movies. They can make TV shows. They can hire the best talent. They essentially, if they want to become HBO over the next decade plus, they can spend and get there. I think it'd be very hard to imagine them buying a big media company. Sure. Would they love to potentially own a studio if you could just buy a studio? But every one of these companies comes with so many other assets. I mean, yeah. they have MLS now on Apple TV+. Plus. Do you need to buy ESPN and exactly. have cable subscribers right. to get, I mean, just buy the good stuff, you know, buy the actual content or invest in it, build it. I don't think you have to go out and buy one right. of these companies. And I think your your point is well taken, Tom. Way too often in this space, it's like, oh, I can't figure out a growth strategy. Yeah. Maybe we'll just yeah. get bought by Apple or Amazon because yeah. they have so much capital. To exactly. Deploy. Rich, 20 seconds, your single best buy right now at Lightshed Partners. I mean, I think, look, it's, it's when you think about recovery stocks right now, the two that stand out that are sort of rebounding off of their lows, I think you would probably put both Spotify and Snapchat right now. Very good. Rich Greenfield, thank you so much on entertainment. Just a great snapshot there as well. Subscribe to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Listen live every weekday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg.com, the iHeartRadio app, Tune in and the Bloomberg Business app. You can watch us live on Bloomberg Television and always on the Bloomberg Terminal. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg.
Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel. It's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.